Hello there, and thanks for joining me on the podcast. Today, I uh, wanted to address an issue that prevalent in our news coverage today and in newspapers of all kinds and television programs of all kinds and news services. The question that they all seem to be raising but not seem to be answering. Why the increase in crime? Why do we have more crime today than we have had for years and years? What's going on? What's the fact that uh, allow criminal behavior to be so prevalent today? Factors which encourage criminal behavior to be so involved and so uh, prevalent today. So let me just kind of comment about some of the things that I uh, reflect on as a psychologist when I uh, address this issue of criminal behavior. Now, first of all, we have to understand that criminal behavior is basically sociological. Crime operates within the context of a social system. That social system is very organized and very tight and very controlled and very uh, limited, or it's very loose and very liberal and very agreeable to almost any kind of behavior that a person engages in. In other words, social behavior is a result of social interaction, social standards, social value, of social patterns, social interest. We need to address it from that point of view. Now, besides being sociological, criminal behavior is also kind of psycho- it's also psychological, which means human behavior is learned. We learn criminal behavior. We learn non-criminal behavior. We learn behaviors that coincide with and cooperate with and coordinate with certain social values of a community. Or we learn behaviors that are contrary and in contrast to the values of a particular community. Sociological and psychological factors operate strongly. And we cannot deal with crime, we cannot resolve crime, we cannot control crime unless we bring into the picture the sociologist and the psychologist working together. Now there's other factors we do know that play a role, but these are primarily the the factors. Psychology is the study of learned behavior, and uh, we learn to live within the context of a community standard, or we learn to live in opposition to communities. We learn to live in the in the cooperation of a family standard, or we learn to live in conflict with family standards, and so on. So, first of all, you have to know that. It is not a political issue. It is a sociological and psychological issue that needs to be addressed from the perspective of those two professions. And we need to bring in the experts of those two professions if we're ever going to control the crime, or minimize the crime, or alter the course in the pathway of crime today. Now let me give you a list of some of the things that operate in the life of a community that encourages crime, that uh, accounts for the crime behavior that takes place in that community. In other words, what are the encouragements of crime? What are the factors which seem to port crime and encourage crime and uh, reinforce crime and reward crime in the community? Well, I'm going to give you a list. And then we'll take it from there. Number one is fatherless home. The fatherless home, this is a sociological factor now. The fatherless home, that's a very critical factor. When the father is not in the home, the mother is left to not only be the provider of income and resources for that home, but to control and to uh, teach appropriate social behavior to the children in that home. Now, this is a struggle. If she's working eight hours a day, she's in a uh, impaired position teaching the children appropriate social behavior. 
How can she do that when she's working eight hours a day? So she relies on neighbors, relies on grandparents, relies on friends and so on to supplement. But it's her job. Now many women, sole parents, mothers, independent sole mothers, pretty good at this. They control their kids. They control their kids with an iron fist. Many mothers do poorly and the kids are free to roam and have whatever choices of behavior they prefer. So fatherless homes are important. I have been on the record for many times that we need a social program that pays fathers to return home to their family so that there is a father in the home because we know that that's the main contributing factor to young boys going to prison. Okay, fatherless homes is certainly a big factor and I want you to kind of keep that in mind. Okay, here's the second one. The glamour factor. This is where the news comes in. This is a sociological factor also. This is where the news comes in. They glamorize crime. In other words, pictures are taken, videos are taken of crime scenes. And when see people watch that, the adrenaline stimulates, the adrenaline rush takes place, and they get a high just by watching crime take place in their community through the news, through the newspaper, through the videos. So when you glamorize crime, you encourage crime because it gives a high, it gives a, a, a natural high and in a depressed society and a depressed young man or woman, anything that gives a stimulant, anything that arouses the adrenaline and arouses the brain will be a behavior to be engaged in and that's where crime behavior comes in. We see it glamorized and we follow that. We are great imitators of behavior. Children are great imitators. Young men are great imitators of behavior. And if they see it glamorized on the news, they will imitate that same behavior themselves. And we have then crime being encouraged. So here's another one. The lack of a bond. The lack of bonds in our society. We live in a society where families are loose. The bond between mother and father has been broken in many, many families. Over 50% of the families. And in the crime family background, 70-75% of mother and fathers do not have a bond. And they do not have a bond with their kids. So this lack of a bond is a contributing factor to crime. And that means a kid does not have a sense of responsibility. Does not have a sense of accountability for his behavior to somebody, the father, the mother, typically the case. But when we don't have a bond, we don't have a, a duty to honor other people or to make other people feel good or feel pleased with your own life and your own behavior patterns and choices. So we need parents to bond together. We need parents to bond with their kids. We need families to bond together. And the more that there is a bond within the home, within the family, the less crime. Here's another point. We have seen now in our criminal system what we call the immediate release. Somebody has been arrested, they're taken down to the police station, and they're immediately released rather than to place into jail for a period of time for processing. There, we call that immediate release. There's no, that means there's no consequence. You commit a crime, you're given a car ride downtown, your name is taken, you're slapped on the back and said, go and do no more. That's all that is done. And the person leaves the police station, goes back to the community, goes back to the neighborhood, and criminal behavior is once again engaged in. There is no consequence for crime 
in the policy that has been developed in many communities of what we call the immediate release. Now, similarly, we have what we call early release. That is, people are placed into jail because of a criminal behavior of some type. But then within a matter of days, sometimes hours, but certainly days, they're released. Or they're there very, for weeks, and but very short period of time, and then released. We call that early release. In other words, there's really minimal consequence for criminal behavior. Minimal in this early release program. So people are willing to take a risk. People who engage in crime, criminals are engaged in a pattern of behavior in which risk-taking is engaged in regularly. And risk-taking is a activity which generates adrenaline. And adrenaline is a high. Adrenaline is an arousal. It overcomes the depression. It gives a sense of thrill to an individual. So criminal behavior does not have any major immediate consequences because we have policies of immediate release or early release. Now there's other factors which come to play as well. Let's, let's take a look at maybe some other ones, some additional ones here. What about guns? What about guns? Guns in the hands of criminals. Now, we in the political world look at it from the point of view of, well, just take the guns away. Well, there's no way that you're going to get guns away from a criminal population. They have made them themselves. They have modified them. They possess them. They cherish them. They hide them. They will not release them under any circumstance. you got to go find them. So guns are, and furthermore, guns are not the problem. Guns don't walk the street. There's not a post in on the street corner with a box in it with guns available for use, for rent, to borrow, or to use. We don't have that. Guns are in the hands of people, and it's the people that deal with guns and use guns and relate to the world through guns. So we have to kind of look at it from the perspective of who are the people that own guns and who are the people that use guns and who are the people that misuse guns. We need to study that kind of behavior. And we have a pretty good handle on who they are. You ask the policemen in the corner of most cities, they know where the guns are loaded. They know the people who have guns. We just don't have a way to monitor them or to control them or to register them or to even take them away until somebody is arrested. And then maybe the gun is removed from their possession. So it's not the gun. Forget that issue. It's the people who possess, who would most likely use those inappropriately. Now, many say that this is due to mental illness. Very few mentally ill people have guns and misuse them. Very, very few. These are people who are more psychopathic. These are personality disorders, not mental health or mental illness. So it's a whole different population. And if we're going to address the issue of guns, we've got to address the issue of who is responsible and can own a gun and who's irresponsible and should not own a gun. That's really the issue. And that's not an easy one to figure out. Now, what about one other factor? The failure to, pro to prosecute. The failure to prosecute. We just had in our news, just today even, three men who committed murder. And the prosecutors, when they case come before the court didn't even show up, which means they were in favor of these three gentlemen being released. They did not show up, which means that the judge had no alternative than to release and to drop the charges on these three men. So it was done deliberately. It was done political. District attorney of that particular city in that particular area did not show up on purpose so that those three men would in fact be released back into the community. It was a political statement. We're not going to deal with crime. We're going to allow it to 
prevail within our city, within our county, within our jurisdiction. We call it the failure to prosecute, and that's being done across the country. District attorneys are changing their ideas now and not prosecuting certain crimes, and in this case, not even prosecuting a very serious crime, that being murder. So you see, the issue of criminal behavior is very complex. Why do we have crime? It's a very complex answer. Who are the criminals? Very complex issue. How can we handle that? How can we modify it? How can we reduce it? How can we control it? Very, very complex issue. But it's not a political issue. The politicians will never get their hands around this issue. The politicians will never come up with an answer. They'll come up with their usual trite answer. It's an answer that sociology and psychology are primarily responsible to answer. And we start. We need to start looking at the books of psychology and the books of sociologists. And we need to look at some of the research in this area and begin to apply that. And when our government, when our governors, and when our legislators start reading psychology and sociology related to crime and start thinking that way, we'll be able to get our hands around it and we'll get some control over it and we'll reduce it. But not until then. So there you are. Criminal behavior is certainly uh, with us, but it's not going to leave. So what I'd like you to do is to um, tune in next week again. I'm going to do part two. This is only part one. This is going to do part two. As we look at this issue of criminal behavior and why we have crime and what we can do about it. This is a start. But you know, it's a good start. These are some of the issues that we need to be thinking about and need to be aware of and need to get our hands around as individuals, as church leaders, as community leaders, as governmental leaders, as politicians, if you will, of educators, and so on. We need to work together in thinking through what criminal behavior really is and how we can reduce it together, working together, in our community. Well, thanks for joining me, and we'll see you next week as we uh, pick up the uh, topic of uh, why crime exists and why it's so prevalent today, part two. Okay, bye for now. Mm -hmm.